0: Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's JC Sherbert. Greetings and salutations. It's a Wednesday episode of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. I'm JC Sherbert. Um, <laughs> you know what's kind of kind of funny, guys? Like every time I get on uh, the podcast after a loss. Uh, I don't know if you guys, you guys have seen Major League. Um, Bob eucher plays Harry Doyle. <laughs> I always be like, oh, welcome to Tribe Talk, and the Indians, uh, you know. Um, anyway, I just thought about that when I was uh, logging on today to record this thing. It's Wednesday. Uh, that means there's a lot of me out there in the media. Um, Tuscaloosa Radio tied 1029 every morning uh, on Wednesdays at around, I guess, uh, 8.30 Eastern. You can catch that on the internet. I'll also be on JB and Goldwater today, uh, starting at 12.30 to one thirty, And then later this afternoon, we'll have another JC and Morgan College Football Podcast where we review all the teams from last week, including the call. You know, I made the call on the Mississippi State game. It's very rare I get a bold prediction like that right, you know, because uh, I think, as I've explained before, I think in terms of scenarios, when it comes to outcomes of college football games. uh, And so I'm thinking three different scenarios in my head. It's hard for me to latch on to actually one, but um, you know, that was one I called So you know, 16 and a half point underdog Mississippi state Bulldogs uh, defeated LSU this past weekend. Congratulations to Mike Leach, the pirate, who we all know and love for his, Outstanding press conferences and and what a way to start the uh, the SEC career. His SEC career, something that he's been wanting for a while. I know that from talking to people that know him. So that's a, that was a good deal and glad to see him go down there and, and win that football game. But we're going to talk about that on on JC and Morgan today, probably on JB and Goldwater as well. But this, of course, is the Inside the Gamecast podcast. We're going to talk Gamecast Carolina. You know, another big SEC East game this weekend, uh, noon kickoff. I believe Florida's number three in the country right now, I saw in one poll, uh, down at the Swamp. Um, impressive offensive showing for them, a 51-35 win at Ole Miss to open the season. Uh, that game margin-wise went about like I thought. I, I thought Ole Miss probably could cover the 14-and-a-half of the 16. Um, and so, you know, uh, I, what I, I – I was – I'll admit, I was a little surprised there was 86 total points scored. (laughs) And I was surprised Ole Miss got 600 yards of total offense. and The Gators got 642. There wasn't much defense being played uh, out there in in Oxford, Mississippi. But um, certainly, uh, you have to be impressed with Kyle Trask, Kyle Pitts, the receivers, uh, the run game. You know, Dan Mullen's offense is just so good. Uh, when it's clicking on all cylinders, especially when he has a passing game. Uh, I think uh, if we remember two years ago, which was kind of the game that started this whole slide for Carolina, Florida was very one-dimensional as far as being able to throw it and pass it. But um, that's certainly not the case with Kyle Trask. I think they've got a really good one. Um, You know, looking at the matchup and, um, you know, you you folks know, you're you're familiar with Florida – I think Florida's got the best skill talent right now. Uh, when you look at their receivers, backs, people that can make you pay for a missed assignment, quarterback, all that, since Urban Meyer. Um, and, and that's really more a tribute to depth. You know, you got everybody from, you know, Kadarius Toney to Trevon Grimes. Uh, Copeland's a really good receiver. Then you got Pitts at tight end, and you got some young guys behind them that are all fast. It, it actually looks like, you know, skill-wise, a Florida team – you know that you, that you come to know and expect from the Gators. Uh so they're they're fast and and they're good and you know he's got a <laughs> waffle house ha- waffle house hash brown uh type of menu of options as to how to get these guys the ball. Um and he's always been that way so you know hats off to Dan Mullen. I've always said his offense scheme wise is probably one of the best you can run in the SEC. You know just because You know, they have a power run deal to it, but you can also open it up. It's very flexible, you know, to fit your personnel. Um, You know, I think that heading into the year, there was concern on the offensive line for Florida. They didn't seem too concerned on Saturday in Oxford. It's an older group, talent wise, you know, they may just be a little so so. They're good at their assignments. Um, so South Carolina's defensive line is going to have to come play because that's that's an area of the game. There are very few uh, that you can look at and go, "Well, the Gamecocks could, you know, get some things done on the defensive line." You know, talking about guys like Zach Pickens and Kingsley and Igbari, JJ. Uh, you know, Jordan Birch, Flash coming off the bench the other night. You know, you got the interior guys. Uh, you know, Keir Thomas, Jabari Ellis, uh, obviously Aaron Sterling's out there. Uh so I think that um, you know, just if you want to look at a matchup where Carolina could have a chance to make some things happen, it's definitely their, you know, their O line versus the Carolina D line. Um, you know, and Caltrask Trask is outstanding. Uh great game uh stat wise and and performance wise at Ole Miss. Uh I think he really turned their season around last year because they were they were heading towards a second straight loss to Kentucky. Before Franks gets hurt, he comes in, leads them back to the win, and they, they just kind of got on a roll from there. And, you know, when you look at them last year, the last two years really, you know, they haven't been the dominant Florida Gators of the Urban Meyer and uh, Steve Spurrier era, um, you know, the team that was just, you know, scare you to death and put 60 on the board with you. They're a team that kind of is a, you know, dig deep – we talked about confidence for Tennessee last week. This group this weekend is going to have loads more confidence than the Vols, <laughs> you know, because as we've seen the last two years, Carolina's led going into the third quarter, fourth quarter, and lost the game. And that's happened multiple times. I mean, that's uh, – Gators have been down. They come back. You know, they get up off the mat. Uh, and that's a tribute to Dan Mullen and his ability to motivate and his assistant coaches and, and the players down there that they – uh you know, Florida for a while there under under Jim McElwain, I thought if you got them down, you know, they were kind of a front runner team and, and that caught up with them the year he got fired. Um, you know, I, I think under Will Muschamp, obviously, Florida would find ways to lose games. Uh, and that was kind of bizarre. And, you know, we see some things like that happening at South Carolina. Now just, wow, the ball went off his leg. Unbelievable. That kind of thing, but under McIlwain, I I thought they kind of became a front runner type group. Where if things were going good, you know they 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 could beat you, but if things weren't, you know they they just kind of curl up into a ball and and not. I don't want to say quit because I I don't want to question a whole entire football team's heart, but you know you you could get them down, you could beat them. Uh, That's not the case under Dan Mullen and you saw signs of that his first year when they lost to Missouri by 21 at home, they're kind of hanging their heads after the Georgia loss. Uh, And then Carolina comes in there and 31, 14, you know, and it's, it's it's looking bad, you know, looking bad. And at that moment, you know, and we talk about moments and, you know, you, you look at um, what Paul Feinbaum said about Tennessee and Carolina being chips passing in the night, you know, that, that game in, in Gainesville two years ago, I hate to keep, keep harping on it, but look, things have not go, turned around in a positive manner with the exception of, a, of two and a half games right there in the middle of last year for the Gamecocks since then. And the Gators have been playing in, you know, New Year's Six Bowls and are the top five. And, you know, Carolina holds on and wins that one. You know, then maybe it's the Gamecocks that sneak sneak into the Peach Bowl that year or something. I mean, that you know, I, I don't know that Carolina still would have – they'd have probably still lost to Clemson. Or they'd have been sitting at eight and four at the very least uh, and, and it would have had a win over Florida. And that would have knocked Florida back. But that was a ship's passing in the night type of game. And, uh, you know, then they – you know, another opportunity last year to beat this team. And you had a bad call, obviously. But bottom line is fourth quarter. Once again, they owned it, and that's confidence. It takes confidence to play through mistakes and errors and and when you get down. And, and look, I'll I'll be honest. Out of Collin Hill on Saturday night, I saw some of that, you know. They're down 21-7. The life is being sucked out because Tennessee just kind of lined up and ran it and got up by two touchdowns. and The offense had not done anything since the first drive, and then bang, 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 then they're back in it, and then all of a sudden they got the momentum and ended up making it a ball game. Um, They just didn't do what it took to win, Uh, especially on defense. I think, you know, I think, you know, South Carolina's defense has a bad habit of, you know, when they get a score on offense or the offense does something good or special teams uh, of that next drive, instead of sustaining that momentum, giving up a big play making a mistake, whatever the the case is. Uh, And it's been that way for a little while. So, you know, really the, you know, I mentioned last year's games. Um, you know, I think the Kentucky and, and Georgia game, they didn't. But uh, I think Florida last year they did, and every you know, every other game they lost. So, you know, you, you got to – when you do something big on offense, when you answer, when you get back in it, you know, you need that stop. And it's not going to happen every time. But it, too many times, you know, South Carolina would answer the Vols and then they, the defense would let them answer right back. And that was tough. You know, so Carolina's got to get better there. You know, if this, is, if this is a game Saturday, you know, they got to counterpunch with their defense when their offense does something good. Um, you know, and I, and I think that, uh, you know, when you look at it, you know, Trask is outstanding, and back to this point on him. But the problem is you take him away – Mullen's still going to find a way to run the ball, and Florida's got really good backs. You know, they they've got good backs. Um, they got guys that can make plays, make things happen. So, you know, you you kind of pick your poison if you're shutting them down because they are going to run power and run right at you. So, again, South Carolina's defensive line has to play well. Ernest Jones has to play well. The linebackers have to fit the run. You know, as well as worrying about pits and everything else. So it's a it's a challenging game, I think, from an assignment standpoint. For the Carolina defense, but you know, don't don't just think that if you shut Pitts down and and and, and you know, or slow him down, and, and Trask is off, you're just going to go in there and win because you know Mullins, you know, base of his offense is based in power run. That's why they can get by w- with playing a guy like Embry Jones, which they'll start doing probably next year. That's you know not all that great of a passer, but he can run. Because they'll just power run you to death with their quarterback, and, and it's the beauty of their versatile system. And I like their system. And I think, you know, I think that the fact that they're more, I guess, open with the pass now really helps them. I don't know how far they'd be going right now if they just had Jones back there and they're trying to run power behind the offensive line or whatever. When you're at Florida, you know, if we think about it, Tim Tebow obviously was the power runner. But think about, you know, when Mullen was there, what kind of skill they had everywhere else and speed and the fact that they could run the crap out of the ball. They'd run it with Harvin or those little guys like Rainey and Demps, or they'd, you know, throw it to their receivers. Tebow could, could get it out. I mean, it, you know, uh, that was a bear <laughs> to stop. Um, and Mullen is really, really good at that. And I think back at Mississippi state too, with Dak Prescott, you know, power run team, but that could certainly beat you with his arm. Um. You know, and so so that's the deal there is you got to kind of pick your poison with the Gators. And, you know, I think that with Carolina, it's all going to come down to the, you know, to the front seven if the secondary is able to, you know, slow them in the passing game. That's a big if because um, that may not happen either. But if it gets down to, you know, okay, the secondary is hanging in, Trask is a little off, you know, it's going to be up to those guys on the D line and Ernest Jones and, you know, Damani Staley, I guess he's playing Will Linebacker or whoever they have in there um, to make some things happen. Uh, Florida's defense was missing some personnel last week. Uh, I, I do think they lost some good players off last year's team, but they still returned some guys. You know, Marco Wilson, I think, is an outstanding corner. Um, I, I think that they've got, you know, speed and talent uh, at linebacker and in the front seven. Uh, it's Todd Grantham. Uh, And I'll tell you this, this defense, it's feast or famine. uh, There's a scenario in my head, and I told you I do scenarios, where it's disaster for South Carolina. Uh, If the offensive line can't slow them down, if they're not picking up their assignments, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Keep in mind, South Carolina is sort of a pro-style offense right now. You know, they don't have a guy that can just take it and run away from the rush. Uh, they're going to have to make good decisions in the run game, and, turn, and Colin Hill's going to have to get them into the right play. Now, the positive thing is, I think Mike Bobo is pretty familiar with Todd Grantham and what he likes to do. They were at Georgia together for a long time, um, so he's probably got some play calls there that'll work. But you got to execute it, and they're so fast that you know, you know, you get one mistake, uh, and they're going to come off and, and obliterate you in, in a turnover big sack it'll be a momentum shifting ball ball play so you got to be careful with that defense it could it could spell disaster or it could spell opportunity you know that's kind of my theme of this disaster or opportunity and I think that you know that's the case anytime you face a Grantham D and, and I'll, I'll go back the last two years you know credit the guy you know and I like and, and I honestly I've never been a huge fan of his style of defense because I watched it at Georgia over the years, Mississippi State over the years, and, and there are games. By God, they're awesome, and, and they're shutting people down. And nobody, nobody's going anywhere. They're not running the ball. I mean, some of those games against Auburn, I remember with Georgia. You know, nobody they wouldn't be nobody'd score over twenty, but Georgia just completely shut them down. And then there are games where the other teams you know, throwing for five hundred yards. That <laughs> just happens. I mean, you know, that, that's just one of those things. you, you, you got to be able to scheme them up. Uh, and sometimes you scheme them up, sometimes you don't. And then the last two years with Carolina, I thought Brian McClendon and Jake Bentley in the swamp, they 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 were in the right play. They had some ball plays ready to roll. Uh, and then he adjusted, and then there was no adjustments. And then last year I thought the same thing. You know, Ryan Holinsky didn't play that bad in that game. He had some mistakes. Uh, especially on the, the the vertical balls down the field. Um, and, and then the play call inside the 10 where you, you know, once again you have him throw it like he did at Missouri and it ends up being a bad play. and You're sh- you running all over him. Uh, and then the, the, you know, the fourth quarter, you know, Florida ended up shutting him down. Uh, I don't know how far that offense was going to go. Uh, maybe they played the best they could in that game. But, you know, certainly – Certainly, you know, the last two years, Grantham, with his defense, has owned the fourth quarter against the Gamecocks. Um, but they're fast, and like I said, it's, it's, it could be disaster or opportunity for this offense on Saturday. I can, I can really see both scenarios in my head um, as far as that goes. All right, we'll talk more about the Gators and the matchup. You know, got a Thursday episode. Then we'll have the final word episode on Friday, and then everybody gets to get up early. On Saturday, and Lynn wants the ball game. I, you know, I, I don't know what to think. I'm, I'll tell you, I'm probably not going to pick a Gamecock win. Um, you know, I picked the Gamecocks to win by four last week. They lost by four. Uh, I'm just, you know, and look, I didn't pick them to beat Georgia last year either. And, you know, I, I don't. I think I did pick, pick them to beat Kentucky, but you know, I, I, yeah, I just, you know, when you look at the matchups, this is going to be a tough one. So so don't expect a upset prediction from yours truly but I will have the final word I'll break everything down. All right so so yesterday Will Muschamp has a press conference I wanted to address this. It um on Saturday and somebody sent it to me. There was a tweet with a video of Muschamp from 2 or 3 years ago. Using the F bomb, talking about Spurs up, trying to get the crowd fired up, and it was an outtake between he and Justin King. You guys know who Justin King is, and somehow it leaked, and it was all over the place. And USC had to release a statement. Must Champ's mom apparently got on him for saying it. It was all over. Um, here's my opinion, and then he was asked about it by Phil Cornblut, and people were like, "Oh," and then Must Champ, you know, I, I think. You know, knowing Muschamp and corn like I do, I think you know, and kind of studying their patterns. I think he was half joking. And and here's why. Have you ever noticed when Will Muschamp gets upset about a question from the media, it's a one-word answer and a glare. It's not, you know, he goes on and on and on, and chuckles to himself and, and says, Hey, tiger fit tiger Phil strikes again or whatever. Um, if he's really mad about something. He's gonna roll the the no or yes and glare. I mean, he that's just that's just him. And so I don't think he was mad. Uh, I do think it's funny that he used Tiger Phil. That's kind of a, a, a social media or internet moniker that Cornblut's had uh, attached to him by a lot of people over the years. And you know, the Clemson people call him Gamecock Phil. You know, so it's yeah. I think that probably tells you something about how he does his job. Um. But but you know I I I thought it was kind of overblown. I thought that you know number one I don't care if Muschamp uses an f bomb in a video. It's 2020. Um, is it is it something that's you know sound practice for a, a football coach at a major institution? No. You know I you know is it something that you should do all the time? But the, but the fact that it's there, I don't care. I mean, have you ever read Nick Saban's lips on the sidelines? You've read Muschamp sometimes, um, you know, I know it's different and more jarring being on a video, but I don't, I'm not going to get upset with the guy. Number two, it should have never leaked. If you're out there and you're listening to this, you leaked that video, you're a clown. Okay. You are a clown. And I hope you feel happy being a social media hero and embarrassing Will Muschamp in front of his mom uh, and all that, but you're a clown. Um, and you're probably going to be irrelevant for the rest of your life. Uh, even if you think you will be somewhat relevant now, because you're the hero that leaked this video, um, I promise you, your life is not going to be a success because you're a clown for doing that. And you will continue to make clown decisions throughout your life. So I hope you're happy. Um, and I'm, if you're a listener to this podcast and and that happened, then, You know, I'm sorry. You don't have to listen to me anymore. But if you leak that video, you're a freaking clown. And I hope Will Muschamp finds out who you are, because if you work anywhere in the University of South Carolina, you're going to be fired. And I'm glad you will be fired because you deserve to be fired. You know, there's no purpose to leak that unless it's to embarrass somebody, you know, and to make yourself look, oh, look at this. You know, you want to get inside scoop. You know, you're, you're welcome to come, you know, compete in our business and work hard and get sources and treat people right and all that. That's inside scoop. That's real stuff. That's real work. But, you know, you just happen to get a video from somebody and you're just going to put it out on social media and spread it. You're a clown. Cla- C-L-O, Debbie Clown. You know, and look, maybe you will be a success in life. I'm not trying to damn you for the rest of your life for one mistake. But uh, people like that people that want to sit there and embarrass people on social media and, and get out there and, and do things like that are clowns and, and they really have no place in our society, you know, those types of decisions. So, you know, I hope your mother, whoever leaked it, you know, maybe calls you up and says, Hey, that's, that's not a good idea. I raised you better than that because that that's probably the deal there. Now I don't know who leaked it, uh, I think it'd be funny if if maybe it was someone that maybe it was intentionally leaked. I don't know, you know. Let, let's let's let, let's let's not rule anything out because I don't know who leaked it. But I, I I guess my overall point is I am sick to death of people on social media trying to gain relevance in their lives by by trying to to stir the pot and embarrass people. You know, I mean, it'd be really easy to set up an operation where you know, your whole purpose is to go embarrass people on social media because, you know, human beings are embarrassing. Uh, and in this country, we have such wonderful freedom. We're free to be embarrassing all we want. You know, the, the the people of Walmart thing, you know, you've seen that on social media, stuff like that. It'd be easier to actually kind of get together and do that, you know, and have a business and a plan, you know. But you're just out there, you know, swimming in the sea of irrelevance and wanting to do that because you think it's funny, ha-ha. Yeah, and it was, you know, it was, I, I didn't mind it. I, th- I, I thought it was, you know, I wondered where it came from, you know, and, and you're going to, you know, try to try to embarrass somebody that's a success in life. That's sad. That's sad. But again, I don't know who leaked it. Maybe it was leaked on purpose. I, I don't know. But anyway, so I don't care. <laughs> you know, I, I don't care about that. I don't care about Cornblute's question. I don't care about Muschamp's answer. I think everything was perfectly fine and, and nothing more should come of it. And, you know, judging from the reaction on social media and on the site, uh, nobody did. But I, wanted, I did want to address that. The, I have it in my notes here, stupid video. So anyway, watch it be one of my friends. Man, why you call me a clown? I didn't know you leaked it. <laughs> You're still my friend, but, you know, that's a clown move, man clown move um Gamecocks do have issues uh uh injury wise this week Sherrod greens out Damani Staley he will take his place at will linebacker when they play a will linebacker I think you're gonna see a lot of dime to be honest with you um and I you know with Sherrod I, I thought Saturday night I don't want to I don't want to jump to conclusions here but I, I did think that he looked a little more like the Sherrod that you know, we, we we saw in 2018, then maybe last year, maybe he's a Sam. I, I don't know. Uh, maybe that was just the first game. Uh, I don't know. But, um, you know, I don't want to throw him under the bus or anything. But, you know, he didn't really play the whole contest. But, you know, I, it's going to be interesting to see what happens at that position. Will uh, Mo Kaba step up, what will happen, and then uh, Izzy McQuamu. And uh, Jamar Brown are day-to-day. I, I don't have any information as far as if they're going to play or start to keep that kind of locked. Maybe the guy that uh, leaked the video can leak the injury report for all of us. No. Um, but I, I do think with those two guys, with, with kind of Izzy and, and Jamar's unique skill set, you know, Jamar can play a well linebacker, dime spot, cover. Uh, and Izzy, of course, is a bigger – corner that can match up well. Um, I think they're needed this weekend as far as that goes. So hopefully they get back out there and and rock and roll, um, you know, and and make things happen. You know, Carolina's going to have to play much better on defense. So we'll see. All right. So we got the – what do we have here? We got uh, the mailbag. That's right. For those of you that don't know, I've been battling a cold this week. I don't know what the heck. I thought it would be over. But the weather's getting cooler, so maybe that's it. I don't know. But All right, so here's there's two ways you can get into the mailbag. Uh a Clemson fan has tweeted at the Big Spur pod talking about coaching. He's uh you know, obviously doesn't care <laughs> about Carolina not having good coaching, but he's like, coach. Um, and I, I guess it was in response to saying the difference between Tennessee and South Carolina's confidence. Look, I don't think – I don't think Tennessee coached Carolina on Saturday night. I there was no, like – there's some good play calls by Jim Chaney. Um, I don't think there was any kind of dramatic difference, talent or coaching. I think it was just – Game day performance, which is a uh, is it, it's it's a, it's a branch of the tree of coaching, but as far as like axes and us, I don't know, you know. I don't know. All right, uh, Thomas. Thomas used to be a frequent emailer of the box when I was only in Columbia, so I always like to read his uh, emails. He said. JC, I'm no fan of Will Muschamp. There's no mistaking that. But the comment about the transfers, if he is let go, intrigued me. Well, there are a lot of them at UF after he was let go. I don't recall that being an issue, especially given how many folks argued that McElwain won because of all his players. And players would actually rather keep Will Muschamp and lose than get a better coach. Um, no, that's not the case. And guys did not leave Florida in mass when he left. They stayed. I think – the guys that could go pro stay, and he told him that. I mean, well, Muschamp, look, here's the thing about Muschamp. If if he if if something happens or things go bad, really bad, and he's let go, he is not gonna sit there and look at his guys and say, You should get out of here, you should transfer whatever. You know, now he did go to Auburn and start recruiting against Florida and get guys, but Muschamp, you know, as far as the players at Florida. He encouraged most of them to stay, you know. And then McElwain did win the East two years in a row, and then the bottom fell out. Um, and so there wasn't the the issue here is I think we're in a different time period than in 2014 when he was left get let go. It's we're, we're six years down the road, and because of the transfer portal, which there was not a transfer portal then, uh, and because of the push to get guys eligible immediately and lawyers getting involved and all that. I do think if he is like, oh, there are going to be a handful of guys that leave. You know, South Carolina didn't have a bevy of transfers when Spurrier left. Uh, anytime there's transition, there are guys that the new staff isn't a fan of and they 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 get what we call runoff or, or they don't – you know, it just doesn't work. I mean, you know, and there are, I think, 25 guys that left uh, between Spurrier and Muschamp <laughs> during that transition over a time period. Uh, and I was told only four of them were even playing football. I mean, the rest of them just didn't – they just didn't go anywhere and play, weren't playing. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't think we're going to see mass transfers. I, th- I think you're going to see some transfers, though, because just because we're in a different time. Now, would Will Muschamp hire, you know, handle this the way he handled Florida? I would think so because that's just him. I mean, he's He's consistent. Uh, and he's kind of an old school guy, you know, and he, he does care about his players and, and you can't deny that even if there was a coaching change, it's not in a lot of, you know, that it's not in some of these guys' best interest to stay put, develop where you're at, you know, grow where you're planted, that kind of thing uh, rather than going and, and, and trying to get into a different situation. So now uh, I do think, you know, as far as the players would rather keep will and lose than get a better cut. It's not about, you know, it's not about that with players. I'm sure they'd rather win, but, you know, that's a good deal with Muschamp as far as, you know, his relationship with his players. Now, you know, a guy like more, let's say a guy like Marshawn Lloyd, you know, that would be one I keep an eye on. He has the only tie he has to South Carolina is will Muschamp of the football program. Um, You know, if Mike Bobo wasn't part of a new plan moving forward, I don't think Gunnar Stockton would come here. Now that's a recruit, so that's different. I'm getting to that in a second. Um, You know, a guy like Lloyd who could you know maybe go back to Maryland, uh, University of Maryland with Loxley, uh, you know, that's had some adversity maybe. You know, your Jordan Birches and and Zach Pickens of the world, I I wouldn't see. And look, and I'm getting into specifics, and so what you're going to do because I've read your emails before and your posts. Um, you're going to come back if Zach Pickens transfers and say, I thought you said that wasn't going to happen. I'm not. I'm just speculating on, you know, the different scenarios. Ryan Helensky being from California, uh, not sure that he wants to go back there, but, you know, maybe he transfers up the road or something. You know, I mean, quarterbacks are different. Now, recruiting is a different story, the uncommitted guys. Um, you know, you're going to have – mass decommits. Um, And I know a lot of people are like, well, this class didn't rank very high. Uh, There's some good players in that class you want to hold on to, Um, you know, if it happened this year. And and I'm sure that, you know, the the new staff coming in, kind of like during the transition, you know, they're going to try to salvage it. Um, And and they may not want everybody in the class. It may not be that kind of deal, but, you know, we'll just have to see. So I, I think that, You know, as far as mass transfers, uh, I think that's overblown. Uh, I don't think there would have been mass transfers last year. I think that, you know, they wouldn't have had Marshawn Lloyd on the roster or Jordan Birch on the roster had they uh, made a change. But, you know, if things continue to go bad, then the right move would have been to have gone last year. And I said that. And and, and audience – my people out there, like I tell you, I think in terms of scenarios, um, and I know we kind of live in a black and white world, and I, I know we live in a know a, a bottom line, winner. you either win or you lose in football, and that's great. And I love it. But, you know, last year I, I just did not think it was an open and shut case that, that Muschamp should stay. I thought it was intellectually dishonest to talk about, well, you, it's a five-year rebuild. Well, yeah, it is. So you're supposed to gradually get better. Um, you know, I, I thought that, you know, I, I agree with the theory sometimes that new coaches struggle in year four and five uh, because they take over a roster that has some good players and then they leave and the recruiting's not so well. But but I mean, that's not the case here. Recruiting's gotten better and better every single year. And they he wasn't left a bunch of good players on the roster, he coached a lot of guys up that ended up being good at Spurrier left. But Hayden Hurst was a wide receiver when he got here and he was like one of two. With Debo, who had never played, they didn't have a quarterback. You know, I mean, you know, getting getting Chris Lamans and Rashad Fenton to the NFL is is a example of individual talent development. But, but there's still no reason to go four and eight with the team they had last year. And if they bottom out this year, all SEC schedule or not, there's no no reason for that. Look, ever ever, Tennessee is a top ranked in the top 15. Would I rank them in the top 15? Probably not. There was no difference in talent between the two teams on Saturday night. None. Tennessee had one, two more big plays. Carolina made one or two more mistakes. You know, Carolina made two mistakes. Tennessee made two big plays. Difference in the game. You know, so it's not like South Carolina sitting here, you know, as the losses pile up. With a group where you look at it and go, oh, they just don't have the hosses. Now, are there some positions that leave a lot to be desired? Yes. Yes. Do they have the hosses to go beat Clemson? No, not right now. Probably a good thing they're not playing them. Do they have the hosses to beat anybody on their schedule? Yes. Yes. Do they have hosses to beat Alabama? No. <laughs> no. Ohio State? No. No. Everybody else? yes, that's not bad. that's not bad folks. so uh there's no the point of all that is there's no excuse to be six and twelve in your last eighteen games. And will Mustamp will tell you that I'm not you know I'm not he I'm not saying something he would not tell every anybody to their face. Mitch, what's up, man? Love the pod, JC, he says. I'm trying to steal the wife's phone this weekend to get you another five-star rating. Appreciate it, Mitch. I'm wondering about Joe Anderson. I haven't heard much. And he's not playing. Leads me to believe he had some COVID issues with getting it contract tracing, or he regressed. Heard anything like that. I'd like to think he'd get snaps over Taka. Although if Taka's that good right on. Um, keep up the good work. I can't handle calling shows on the radio. Too many negative fans right now jumping on the fire. Must champ bandwagon. Excited to see Bobo work throughout the year and watch our offense grow. I mean, yeah, that negativity is going to come again as the losses mount up. I haven't heard of a COVID issue with Joe. All I've heard is inconsistency in practice. I'd play him because I look, I love Aaron Sterling. I think he's a productive player. I don't think he's an every-down defensive end uh, guy. The word's kind of out that he's 250 pounds, and while he can fight through blocks sometimes, Sometimes he's a liability, and I'd rather have girth there and just let Aaron come in and rust the passer, which is what he's good at. Um, that's my opinion. That's not like, you know, fact. Because, <laughs> I mean, there's a reason they've been playing him. And Aaron Sterling, quite frankly, grew on me last year. Uh, I didn't think it was an issue the other night. But I, I'd mix Joe in there. I'd mix Joe. Uh, quite frankly, I, I'd, I'd have him play it over Tonka. I know they like Tonka. I know Tonka has a bright future, but. Um, I, I, I have not heard of like a COVID issue. I did hear there was some on the D line though. Um, I don't know which ones. So, uh, they missed the practice time and all that, but I have not heard that about Joe specifically. And, you know, I'd like to see what he could do. I mean, he, he's a guy that kind of flashed in the spring game. We hadn't heard much about him since obviously a highly regarded guy. Um, and he's bigger, so slide him. Shoot, you can slide him inside. He's bigger than Keir Thomas. So I, I don't know. I don't know what the situation is there. But he's a big end, and, um, you know, maybe they're trying to make him a tackle. Maybe he's just not that good. You know, there there are busts that happen. But um, I think it's too soon to say that just because it's only year two of him. But Mitch, really appreciate it. And, um, and uh, you know, I agree, you know, on the on the call-in shows. It, it gets it gets tough. It gets tough. And you never know who you're talking to either. But I probably will have a call-in show at one point in the near future. So we'll see. Noah says, JC, thanks for your hard work on the podcast. On Saturday, while the result was disappointing, I thought JJ and Ibarre played really well. But do you think he can sustain that level of play over the course of the season? That's the key. I do think he needs to clean up some against the run. But I did think he played really well pursuing. He was active. I think he's a hell of a pass rusher. Um, And that's the key. You know, he's shown flashes during his first two years. The first year he had to play inside. Nah, I wasn't a fan of that, you know. The first year, too, then they move him back out to Buck against Akron, and he showed out. I think Buck's kind of his position. Curious to see kind of what happens if Jordan Burch starts coming on. Um, maybe they'll rotate those two guys. Maybe they slide Enigbari over to the other end, and I don't know what they can do there. But because uh, he did play the other end last year, so but I didn't think he played well. I, you know, I, I've been talking him up for a while. You know, there was that play him inside as a freshman, and then last year he had some some injuries that he worked through. He's healthy now. He had a great camp. Um, I just hope he continues to play well. You know, uh, and, and there are some things about Saturday night that he does need to clean up a little bit, especially against the run. But really, you know, everybody's got to play the run, man. But you got you got ha- to be able to rush the passer from the buck position, and that's, uh, that's what he did. So uh, I do think – I'm excited to see how he develops and grows moving forward. All right, so Brandon says, J.C., I'm predicting at least half, if not eight, of the SEC – Ending up with records between six and four and four and six based on this season's format. There'll be a lot of unexpected wins and losses this year. Do you think that is a fair assessment? Yes. And I was talking about that today because, you know, with uh, Wimp and Barry over in Tuscaloosa, because we're sitting there talking and we're like, how many games is LSU really going to win this year? And, wh- you know, there's there's nowhere. Somebody said on the board on the Big Spur yesterday, there's nowhere to hide because you, you don't have – uh, the Citadel, or maybe the Citadel is not a good team to mention. Maybe you, you don't have like Coastal Carolina, East Carolina, like the Gamecocks did to start the season. They lost a the game against Coastal East Carolina Wofford. Um, so those are three games you, you probably think you win. You know, so if you're five and five, or you win five SEC games, I mean, you know that, that's eight. Um, and usually, uh, unless you have a rival like Clemson or. You know, when Florida State's good or Georgia Tech's good or, or, or Louisville's good or whoever, you know, you know, and, and SEC teams do play some of these, you know, neutral side games. Uh, Auburn has some – I mean, teams have home and homes, Georgia and Notre Dame. But even if you go three and five in the league, in most years you should, you should go, you know, depending on who your non-conference is, four and oh, at least three and one. You know, so you have a chance to get a seven and eight wins – and you know, we've had eleven, twelve 12 game schedules for a long time, 40 years of college football. And so we all sit around and go, Well, you win eight, you win seven, you win six, you win this, win that, win that. And, and this year, you know, you win five, and, and and mentally you're like, that's not a good record, but it is. It is. Um, and and there's no there's nowhere to hide for the teams that that you know aren't contenders or considered contenders. And there's nowhere to hide for the contenders. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at it. And if I'm Georgia, I'm I'm legitimately worried, you know, about number one, my quarterback situation. But number two, how this schedule's going to play out, you know. Um, they go to Arkansas last week. Arkansas gave them a game uh, for a little while. And then, of course, they brought in a backup quarterback and uh, ended up blowing them away but you know you, you look at it and well they got Auburn this weekend, Tennessee the following weekend, and then they go at Alabama and at Kentucky before a bye week. They I mean, you know, so so if I'm I'm Georgia, I'm scared to death because the worst team in your first 5 games had you down 7-5 at halftime and you have quarterback issues. You know, so you better stop people or you're not going to get to the Bama game that everybody's talking about. So, you know, th- that, that's the deal with Georgia. Right. And, and I think everybody in the league's going through that. I mean, you know, LSU obviously was disappointing. Um, I think the league did them some favors because they are the defending champs. They got at Vandy and then Missouri at home uh, to get well. And then they go to Florida and then they have the Gamecocks, and then they go out of Auburn. So, so that's not easy. I mean, you know what South Carolina's facing the next few weeks? Mississippi State uh, actually has a path to being undefeated when they play Bama because they got Arkansas, they got Kentucky, and they got a Texas A& M team that, you know, didn't look like a score against um, Tyrone Nix's uh, 2007 Gamecock defense yesterday or, or Saturday. You know, speaking of A&M, at Bama, Florida at home, at Mississippi State before their bye week, they could be one and three. They got Arkansas. Then they could be coming to Columbia two and three. I mean, so, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think fans at all schools, you know, literally have to, to keep that in mind this year. You can't just go, well, you know, five wins and Jimbo Fisher's third year is unacceptable. It's a different year. You can't judge it by the other standards. But I'm hopeful we get back to the previous standards. And this is just yet another thing about Wilma's champ that's baffling. Because, you know, we talk about his luck, and, 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 you know, a lot of us don't believe in luck. I'm not a big believer in luck. I think you make your own luck, that kind of thing. But when you really look at the big picture, I mean – you you have a bad year at South Carolina where your quarterback gets hurt first game and things just don't go well and you go hire a new offensive coordinator and you know there's some excitement and you're continuing to recruit well and you look at the 2020 schedule and you're like all right you know had a tough tough one last year to, to open up but we got coastal carolina we got east carolina and we got missouri for the conference opener i mean you're looking and then at kentucky and all those games would have already taken place. And Carolina, in an alternate universe, could be sitting there at 4-0 instead of 0-1 um, and really be the same football team. Because that football team I saw Saturday night, based on what I saw from some other folks, the Kentucky game probably would have been a little closer, but they would have beaten Missouri, East Carolina, and Coast. But lo and behold, a global pandemic takes place. <laughs> And because of the global pandemic, everybody goes this all SEC schedule in a critical year five for Will Muschamp South Carolina. You could not write this better. As far as like rotten, rotten, or I'm not gonna say bad luck. I'm gonna say or rotten luck. I'm gonna say misfortune. Spurrier used to use that word, misfortune. I don't think he liked the word luck either. So just had some some, some misfortune. And then when they do good, good fortune. Good fortune there for the Gamecocks or the Gators or whoever. Anyway, so, oh, man, I've enjoyed this episode. Enjoyed talking to you guys today. Once again, I'll be on JB and Goldwater. You can either stream it or on Twitter or you'll see me retweet it. And uh, I think it's on uh, Podbean, a podcasting app. Or if you don't catch it today or, or during the day today, It's always available on the Apple Podcast Store. They podcast everything of their episodes. So I'll be there. And then look for a JC and Morgan. Uh, Have yourself a cold JC and Morgan. Uh, This afternoon where Mike and I are going to go through all the college football games and and sort of uh, look back on uh, or look forward to, you know, this weekend. One thing I will say right now, Miami – probably feeling good about itself right now and rightfully so Florida state complete dumpster fire. And, you know, people talk about recruiting rankings all the time. That school, you know, always has a top 10 class, but it looks like apparently they haven't recruited the right talented guys (laughs) and they've already given up on their new coach. And, you know, boy, it's just a, just a mess down there. So, uh, as as tough as last Saturday's loss was, be thankful you weren't Florida State where you really have no history to battle um, you know, one team in your league that's, that's really that good et cetera, et cetera and, and you go down and lose to what has been your equally dysfunctional rival by 42 points uh, and you weren't competitive so that was uh, that was pretty bad and uh, and then, you know, also, in their case, it's not like they can fire Mike Norvell and go hire another guy. <laughs> They're sort of stuck. They've already made their coaching change. So, you know, we'll see what happens. All right, Red's growling at the mailman. So I'm going to get out of here. This is Inside the game Gamecocks. J.C. Sherbert, have a great Wednesday.